0: Hello, everybody. My name is Mark Leonard. Welcome to the Pets on Time podcast. Pets on Time is a community of passionate pet owners who are committed to creating the ideal home for both humans and their pets. My wife, Julie, and I are dedicated to helping our own pets, which happen to be two greyhounds. We're helping them live the happiest, healthiest, longest life possible. and We're sharing as much information as we can with our pet-owning friends. Be sure to visit PetsOnTime.com to join our community, and we'll keep you informed with targeted information that gives you expert insights into how to create the ideal environment for your pets. Today, we're talking with Dr. Tina Wismer, who is the medical director at the ASPCA's Animal Poison Control Center in Illinois, where she's responsible for overseeing medical recommendations made by the veterinary staff. She's also highly involved in lecturing, uh, making media appearances, and writing. Um, Her first job as a vet was in a small animal practice in Michigan. She then went to work in an emergency practice in South Bend, Indiana, before joining the APCC in uh, 1998. Dr. Wismer has uh, written uh, several peer-reviewed toxicology articles and book chapters, and she is an adjunct instructor at the University of Illinois, previously a visiting professor at St. Matthews University University and a consultant for the Veterinary Information Network, and is also a master gardener. So, Dr. Whistler, um welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. I, so, tell us more about the Animal Poison Control Center. It's not something that I, I think we often like to think about. We're glad you're there. But uh, tell me about how it operates. Uh, how many calls you get? Is there large staff uh, that, that you have manning the phones at 24 by 7. Um, and uh, just give us some important statistics about the APCC. Sure.
1: The Animal Poison Control Center actually started at the University of Illinois back in 1978. So we've actually been around a while. Um, in about 1996, Uh, We outgrew our budget and our space at the University of Illinois, and the name and the rights were purchased by the ASPCA in New York. So we are now the Midwest Regional Office for the ASPCA. Um, At this time, so last year, we actually got about um, 167,000 cases uh, last year. Yes, so mostly these are accidental poisonings. The typical call is, I dropped my blood pressure medication, my dog ate it, is he gonna die, okay? And what we wow. do then is we ask you questions. You know, how much does your dog weigh? Does he have any health problems? Uh, what type of medication did you drop? You know, how many milligrams is it? And then we figure out the dose and determine whether or not this is going to be a problem. So, you know, our answers could be things like, this is not going to be an issue, we don't have to worry about it, or it could be something like, you know, we need to try to make the dog vomit this back up, or if it's something serious, we may send you directly into your veterinarian for care. Mm-hmm. So, um, we're pretty evenly split between um, calls um, from owners and calls from veterinarians. Okay. Oh, interesting. So, sometimes... Sometimes the owners will go directly into the veterinarian, and then the veterinarian will call us to go ahead and find out exactly how to treat um, a specific intoxication. Just like you know, your regular doctor may consult a cardiologist or a neurologist if you are having problems.
0: Terrific! So that, that's that's a larger percentage. So you're you're a huge resource to uh, veterinarians.
1: We are, and at this point in time, we have uh, 27 veterinarians that answer the phone, and we also have about 50 support staff that are divided between registered veterinary technicians and assistants. Um, when the public calls, um, the calls are usually answered first by an assistant or technician, and then they're triaged and sent to veterinarians as needed.
0: Terrific. Wow. Are you seeing any significant trends um, in the last few years? I mean, has that percentage between owners and vets changed at all? Are you seeing is the volume of calls that you're getting going up? Is it going down? Um, Are there things that are changing out there that that are manifesting themselves in calls to you?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, certainly um, toxins kind of, you know, wax and wane um, as they come on the um, the media scene here. Uh, now with, you know, the Internet and Facebook, um, information gets around much quicker than it used to. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we still get a ton of, you know, chocolate calls. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, my dog ate chocolate. Um, but probably one of the newer things is xylitol. And xylitol is an artificial sweetener, even though it sounds like Gun, it starts with in, a Z. Yeah, it starts with an yeah. X. It is. It's in gum, right. uh, candies, mints. You can even buy powdered xylitol to cook with. And it's definitely a problem for dogs because it decreases their blood sugar and can even cause liver problems. So that's one of our big trends. The other big trend is vitamin D. And you probably know from the human medicine side, physicians all believe that we're vitamin D deficient now. So we're taking really big doses of vitamin D, and our animals are getting exposed to it, whether through dropped pills or getting into the pill bottle. Um, But if you get enough vitamin D, we can actually see kidney failure.
0: Wow. Yikes. Okay. Very interesting. That's... um... That is that's great information um, go ahead
1: As I gonna say with um the trending, basically, if it's becoming popular on the human side, then we're gonna start seeing it in animals, so you know when uh antidepressant medications became very popular. We had a lot of animals getting into that when children started to be put on a lot of a d h d medications. We started getting a lot of phone calls on that. So whatever's going on on the human side is reflected on the animal side
0: interesting Wow, okay um what about what about illicit drugs? Do you get calls for for that?
1: We certainly do. Um with illicit drugs, uh probably the most common and it may not be illicit depending upon what state right. you live in is actually marijuana. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um it's plant material. You know, dogs and cats like to chew on plant material, so we get quite a few uh marijuana calls. Um and it's interesting. Uh you know, we think about the typical you know, stoner, they tend to be pretty depressed, laid back. That doesn't always happen in animals. Actually, about 25% of them become quite agitated instead. Um, mm-hmm. but one of the big things that we see with marijuana are dogs that are wobbly like they're drunk and they're dribbling urine. So those are pretty specific signs for
0: marijuana. Oh, interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Fortunately, we don't get a whole lot of, you know, methamphetamine or crack calls or anything like that. Um, you know, occasionally it happens. We actually had a, um, a police dog call last night that was doing a search and ingested some crack cocaine. Um, but he's doing quite well with treatment. So certainly, uh, we do have illicit drugs, but mostly it's, um, you know, your typical prescription medication that people have in their household.
0: Right, right. So based on the calls that you do get um at the center um is is chocolate the the uh, one of the most frequently um uh reported uh poisons and 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 what are some of the other uh some of, what are some of the other poisons that are at, you know in the top 5 right now
1: Sure so if we look at um just chocolate it is our number one phone call that we receive here at Mm -hmm. the poison control center and last year we got about 7600 chocolate calls which works out to about 21 a day um, on just chocolate and when we think about it seasonally we tend to have chocolate season tends to run from halloween you know, mm-hmm. through Christmas to Valentine's Day to Easter. So we're actually coming to the end of chocolate season here mm-hmm. at the Poison Control Center. And with chocolate, the darker the chocolate, the worse it is. So mm. it used to be that most of us liked, you know, the typical milk chocolate. And, you know, no one ate the special darks out of the uh, mixed bag that you used to get. Right. But the American palate has really changed and now people love the really dark chocolate, you know, the the seventy or the eighty percent cocoa. So right. we're seeing more and more severe chocolate poisonings in dogs than we used to. Oh,
0: interesting. Okay, yeah. Yeah. The this number is great two. information. This is great well, thank information.
1: You. The number two toxin that we get called about is actually ibuprofen. So most of us are going to have ibuprofen in our house. Yeah. Um, And many of the brands actually have a sweet outer coating. So, you know, especially with dogs, they have that sweet tooth. They'll eat as many pills as they can get to. Um, So that's number two. And we worry about ibuprofen in both dogs and cats can cause stomach ulcers and kidney failure. So it's definitely something we want to keep away from our pets. Right. Um, Our next big group is, you know, our prescription uh, human medications, especially cardiac medications. You know, if you think about who takes heart medications, it tends to be, you know, the the older uh, demographic in our population. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're also the ones that may not be the best holding those little pills in our fingers, so we tend to drop a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Or we have those pill minders and, you know, dogs think those are great toys and we'll chew them open <laughs> and, you know, ingest the contents. So, uh, heart medications are definitely high up on the list of things we get calls about. Now, depending upon the heart medication you're on, you know, we may just see mild signs, um, or we could see things that are life threatening. So definitely, you know, if an animal has ingested a heart medication, it's worth a call to your veterinarian to find out if this is going to be a problem.
0: Good. Okay.
1: We also get a lot of calls about dogs ingesting thyroid medication. Now, the nice thing about this is that dogs take huge doses of thyroid medication as compared to people. Um, You know, your typical little Shih Tzu probably takes almost 10 times the amount that you do. So it's actually pretty safe in dogs. They get a dropped pill or two, and it's not a problem. So it all has to do with species differences. You know, that ibuprofen is a problem, but we can take a lot of thyroid meds being a dog, and it's not an
0: issue. Right. Okay. Good. So,
1: um, we also get quite a few calls about insecticides, Now, when we think about insecticides, you know, we have the ones that we use on the animals for, you know, flea control and tick control, but we also have, Mm -hmm. you know, the ones that we use outside in the yard or in our house. Mm -hmm. So the big thing with that is to make sure you read the label before we, you know, use any of these insecticides around our pets or on our pets. There are many products, uh, those nice little spot-ons that you put between the shoulder blades. Mm-hmm. If it says "Dogs only do not put that on your cat." Many of those products can actually cause tremors and seizures if they're used inappropriately. Hmm. So that's definitely something we can avoid. Um, when using products outside or in your house, read the label, and it's typically that you know, if you put down a liquid you wait till it's dry and then it's safe for the animals to be in that area. Um if you're putting granules in the lawn, we're going to want to water them in, wait till it's dry and then it's safe for the animals to be back out again. So always read those labels and even if you've always used the product, read the label again cuz sometimes things change. Right. Our next common uh intoxicant um and that we've actually touched on a little bit, um, is in the people food category, and that would be the xylitol, that new sweetener that we talked about, um, that we're starting to get many phone calls on that, about 10 a day um, that animals have been exposed to it and can end up having liver failure or low blood sugar. So definitely something we want to keep away from our pets
0: here. Right and and with with xylitol is that something that happens immediately is it i mean can that can those um, uh conditions uh, surface immediately or is it prolonged exposure or um i mean can it be can it be life threatening immediately
1: that's a great question and the answer is it depends upon what form that the xylitol is ingested in so if they ingest dogs ingest um the baked goods, the powdered xylitol, the candy or the mints, though the xylitol in those products is absorbed very quickly and we can start to see problems within, you know, thirty to sixty minutes. Whereas the animals that eat gum uh, it since dogs don't usually do a good job chewing the gum when they mm-hmm. swallow it, it takes a while for the xylitol to, you know, leach out of the gum and cause a problem. So in those cases, we may not see any clinical signs for, you know, uh, several hours, you know, even up to mm-hmm. eight hours later.
0: Okay, good. Um, what, what are some of the most common symptoms? Say I, I don't directly observe uh you know, a, a pet um, ingesting a what we what we might know or might suspect could be a poison, um, but all of a sudden some symptoms start manifesting themselves. What what are some of the most common symptoms that a pet uh, exhibits when uh, when when he or she is poisoned? That's another good question.
1: So it really depends upon what the animal has gotten into, on whether are uh, not we're going to see problems right away as you asked before or what type of signs we're going to see you know if we ingested something um you know like chocolate the first sign you may see is vomiting but if we ingested something uh like um an anticoagulant mouse poison which causes internal bleeding we don't start to see signs for almost three to five days, and they tend to be very vague. You know, the animal, oh well, maybe it's a little more lethargic, doesn't want to eat. And then it depends upon where the bleeding occurs inside the body on what type of signs we see. So you are the best judge of your pet. You know what's normal behavior. If your animal is acting abnormal in any way, the most important thing to do is to give your veterinarian a call. You know, mm-hmm. it may be something like, oh, you know, there may just be a storm coming or maybe there's some virus going around. You know, we may have some stomach upset. But it's important, you know, to let the veterinarian know, hey, you know, Fluffy's not acting right. I think we need to get him checked out.
0: Mm-hmm. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, you know, probably the most important thing if you think your animal, you know, has been – has been poisoned or has ingested something, is, yeah, know your veterinarian's phone number and know what their hours, emergency calls. You know, do they take their own calls or do they send them to a local emergency clinic? It's, you know, important to know where you're going to need to go and what you're going to need to do if you have a situation after hours.
0: Exactly. Okay. Um, how about giving us some tips on, on how to avoid having our pets get poisoned uh, especially when they're in somebody else's care like a pet sitter or another family member that we have coming over to take care of the dogs um sometimes that happens in our house sometimes it happens in their location what are what are some things that that you that you advise uh to um uh to prevent uh poisoning
1: certainly you know, we always recommend pet-proofing your home to start out with, and you know, depending upon what kind of animal you have, you know, this could be pretty extensive or it could be kind of minor. Um, you know, in my household, I've got big dogs like you do. You know, my greyhound is counter height, so I know that I cannot. You have put a greyhound. I do. He's oh, a that's friend. terrific. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, I like tall, pointy dogs. So yeah. <laughs> he, you know. Nothing goes on the counter, okay? You know, you can't leave bread on the counter. You can't, you know, (laughs) set the medication bottle on the counter. Um, Now, if I owned a Chihuahua, probably the counters aren't going to be as important, but making sure there's nothing, you know, in the lower cabinets that they can get into. So things like cabinet locks, like they make for children, are good to keep dogs out of places we don't want them to be. Baby gates. Um, You know, crate training your dog so that when you're gone, they're in a safe Mm -hmm. place so they're not going to get themselves into trouble is really an important thing um, to do for, you know, their safety um, around the household. Now, the problem does come when we end up with visitors and pet sitters because, you know, you don't put your backpack or your purse on the floor. But, you know, grandma may not know that. Um, right. And, you know, some of our most you know, serious poisonings have to do with, you know, grandma's purse because, you know, not only is she on all these medications, she also has the sugarless gum and she's got, you know, the ibuprofen and the Tylenol in her purse. So, you know, dogs get exposed to a lot of different things at once. Hmm. So it truly is a matter of training your friends and relatives Hey, you know, you you can't put that on the floor. Let me take your purse. We're going to put it, you know, here in this closed cabinet um to keep it away from the animals. Mhm. Pet sitters, you know, if they're at somebody else's house, um, you know, always taking, you know, your dog's crate uh with them so that they can stay in the crate once again so they don't get in trouble.
0: Uh making mm-hmm. sure the
1: trash is nothing that they can get into. You know, We always refer to animals as kind of being like toddlers on speed. So, (laughs) you know, any place that a toddler can get, you know, a dog or cat is not going to have any problems doing that. So, you know, make sure that we keep areas
0: off limits to the pets where they can get into trouble. Right, right. That's great advice. Um, What are some of the most... Unexpected substances are things we don't consider poisons, but are for our pets. I mean, obviously xylitol is one. It's like, mm-hmm. who would who'd have thought of that?
1: Exactly. Um, so There are a couple other things that are in the food category that, you know, you or I eat without a problem that can be an issue uh, for our pets. Uh, one of those are grapes and raisins. Yes. Um grapes and raisins can cause kidney failure in some dogs, um, so you know you and I can eat them without a problem, but you know we don't want to let our dogs um, eat them with grapes and raisins. We don't know what the toxin is, and you know it may not be all dogs that are affected, but the oh, problem is we can't tell until it's too late because we don't do kidney transplants in dogs, so the safest thing is to keep those products away from your
0: dog. So would wine fall into that category?
1: It seems that once the grapes or the raisins are processed, then the toxicity goes away. So with wine, Hmm. we don't worry about kidney failure. We do worry about the alcohol content. Right. Um, But, yes, we don't have to worry about um, our animals developing kidney failure from drinking wine. Okay. Another thing that people may not think about is being poisonous to pets is are actually onions and garlic. Yes. And this is truly a function of the dose makes the poison, okay? You mm-hmm. know, one slice of onion, you know, one clove of garlic is not going to be a problem. But, you know, the dog that eats, you know, the bloomin' onion that you bring home from um, Outback Steakhouse or that gets into um, the French onion soup those animals can actually uh, develop anemia. Um there's substances in there that actually attack the red blood cells and cause them um, to break down. And we notice that once again about three to five days after they get into it. So slice the onion, not a problem. But definitely if we've gotten into more than that, give your veterinarian a call and they can determine whether or not this is going to be a problem.
0: And, and is that true for all of the onion family, like shallots and leeks and uh, Correct. what is, yeah. Yeah,
1: shallots, leeks, um, chives, all of those, if you ingest enough of it, can certainly be a problem. Okay. One other interesting uh, toxin, and see, listen to me, interesting, you can tell what <laughs> my background is, <laughs> is actually macadamia nuts. And yes. macadamia nuts in dogs can cause hind limb paralysis but the nice thing about it is it goes away and they come back to normal within about 12 to 24 hours so you know our typical phone call is we just got back from hawaii you know we brought the macadamia nuts home with us the dog got into the suitcase and ate them and now we can't walk well the good news is we keep these guys confined And like I said, within 12 to 24 hours, they're back to normal. But definitely something that we would not think of as being a poison. um,
0: Right. That is amazing.
1: Yeah, it's that whole species difference is, you know, dogs and cats aren't small, fuzzy people.
0: Right. Right. What what is the um, th- this call came in from Houston. Um mm-hmm. what is the toxicity of loquat uh, uh fruit and or trees? Um the the um uh, caller says it's on some toxic plant list but not others. So I'm not sure whether it is the fruit, the seed in the fruit, the leaves or what might be toxic and and how toxic it is.
1: Great. So loquat um, may also be known in your area as Japanese plum. And the seeds actually contain very, very small amounts of cyanide. Okay. Now, the seed actually needs to be kind of ground up to release the cyanide. And the amount that's in there for a dog you know they're not going to be able to eat enough and grind enough of these seeds open to be a problem. So for dogs and cats, we don't really consider it to be a poisonous plant. However, if you had something like a horse or a cow or a goat, they could certainly eat enough and end
0: up with cyanide poisoning. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. Um so that's why it appear that's that's why it appears on some plant list and not on others. Okay. Exactly.
1: That makes sense now. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking large animals. Yes, it can be a serious problem. Small animals, they're not going to be able to release the toxin. So not God. going to be a big deal.
0: Right. But, yeah, then in the seeds. How, is that toxic to humans?
1: Uh, if you ate enough of the seeds <laughs> and ground them up, yes, you could get it that way. But um, if you swallow a seed, it's just going to come out the other end looking like it didn't <laughs>
0: Okay. All right. Um, So around here in uh, Northern California, mushrooms are just popping out all over, um, including some ones that look like, you know, brains or something. I mean, it's just um, (laughs) but and we're always, you know, being well, we we hear about once a year, you know, you know, a couple or, you know, some kids went out and picked mushrooms and ate them and, you know didn't make it um how how cautious should we be about our dogs and uh, cats uh and mushrooms
1: right so you know mushrooms are very very hard to identify okay you know a lot of times you need someone that's actually trained in identification to be able to tell what they are and dogs and cats you know they're going to eat mushrooms They don't know which ones are poisonous and which ones aren't. It's not going to stop them. And depending upon what type of mushroom it is, you may just see something from, you know, mild vomiting, or we could actually see, um, you know, liver failure and death. Especially talking about California, um, kind of the Berkeley area is, you know, um, the bullseye, the worst area in the United States for amanita mushrooms, and those are the liver toxic ones, wow. and those are enough, one mushroom is enough to kill um a person and certainly can kill a dog. so if we ever see an animal eat a mushroom, we usually want to make them vomit and have the veterinarian give them a dose of activated charcoal to bind up any possible toxins that will be there. I was speaking with a physician once, and he's like, "Well, doesn't that seem like overkill?" and my comment was well you know we don't do liver transplants in dogs like they do in people that eat the, that eat the amanita mushrooms and that made him think yeah i guess you're right i guess we need to prevent the problem um so we usually are pretty aggressive when we treat these guys that have gotten into mushrooms
0: so it's very serious
1: it certainly can be it can be you know deadly
0: okay so in in <clears throat> just taking taking that one level down. Does that mean that we should, um, you know, when when mushrooms are sprouting in our backyard, that we um, do we have to literally pick them up and throw and you know put them in a in a trash can where they they're not accessible, or can we just uh, kick them over? Or um, no, I guess you sure. I guess you have to pick them up and dispose of them, don't you?
1: Yeah, that would probably be the best option, um, you know, depending upon the size of your yard, and that, that may be a little, you know, uh, difficult to do. Um, so maybe it's something that, you know, you have um, your dog in just a restricted area, um, you know, in certain times of the year until you can make sure that the rest of the yard is clear. Um, but yeah, prevention is, is the most important thing when we deal with mushrooms, so that would be definitely best to make sure there aren't any out there.
0: Right. So with Easter coming up uh this uh, this coming weekend um we we do hear stories about um especially chocolate and and also lilies. I understand that lilies are are extremely toxic to cats. Are they also can you tell us about that and and also whether they're they're toxic to dogs as well?
1: Sure. So members of the true lily family. So those are going to be uh, members of the Lilium or the Hemerocallus. And so that includes things like Easter Lilies, Stargazer Lilies, Day Lilies, are all very, very poisonous to cats. And it causes kidney failure. And this is one of our interesting species differences once again. Things like the Day Lily, it's they're edible for people. You know, you put the little leaves on your salad, they taste a little citrusy. But it causes kidney failure in cats, and if cows eat enough of them, it actually causes them to go blind. So, once again, different species, different reaction. So if you have a cat in your house, it's best to keep all lilies away from them. Um, Because what usually happens is, you know, hey, you get this beautiful bouquet, or you get the Easter lily plant, and the cat goes and nibbles on the plant or even just uh gets pollen on themselves and grooms it off. And they usually start to vomit within about the first six hours. And then by 18 hours, their kidney enzyme values start to go up because they're starting to develop kidney failure. And then usually by day two or day three, they're no longer producing urine. And then we end up, unfortunately, with a dead cat. So... Lilies are extremely dangerous to keep around cats. So no lilies. If you get some for Easter, give them to your friends without cats.
0: Right. Right. Wow. And and do you does the APCC see a lot of um of surgeon calls during the uh Easter time frame?
1: We do. We um see an increase in the chocolate calls and the lily calls. Um, around Easter, we also see increases in lily calls around Mother's Day. And if you think about it, those stargazer lilies are gorgeous. Um, You know, they come in multiple different colors. They've got these beautiful pink centers, and they're great for bouquets. And unfortunately, they're also very deadly for cats. So, yeah, we have kind of a a lily season
0: around here also. Right. Now, it doesn't sound like they're, they're especially dangerous to dogs.
1: Not at all. Um, They may cause a little bit of mild stomach upset, but it's not a problem for dogs. Interesting. Now, there is one houseplant out there that, until a few years ago, we never really considered them as houseplants, and those are um, cycad or sago palms. It used to be we'd only get these calls about these palm trees from Florida, Texas, you know, Arizona, Southern California. But now you can go to places like Lowe's or Target or Ikea and buy these cute little potted sago palms. And if your pet eats those, it actually causes liver failure. And it's extremely dangerous in dogs. And almost two-thirds, excuse me, about one-third of those dogs will die. So no sago palms. Unfortunately, most of them aren't labeled, you know, with what they are or as being toxic. So if you're not quite sure what it is, don't buy it if you have pets.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, go home, do a little research first. And if you find out that it's non-toxic, hey, go ahead and check it out.
0: Right. Very good. Um what what do you recommend the the action to take? I mean when when should a pet owner call the animal poison control center versus uh calling a uh, calling their their vet?
1: Sure. Um I always recommend that they call their veterinarian first. Okay? Your veterinarian may know what to do. They're closer to you. They know your animal you know better than I do. Um, but if they don't know, and especially if we're talking about a lot of human medications, you know, there's new medications all the time. They may not have, you know, um an available reference for toxic doses. If they don't know, then give us a call. Or if it's after hours and you're unable to reach them, then certainly you can give us a call here.
0: And how do can you give us that contact information and how that how that process works? Is I, I think it's not a free service, right? Correct,
1: uh, we do charge a fee. Um, unfortunately, we uh, don't receive any state or federal funding,
0: okay so like that's fortunate.
1: Um, like the human poison controls do. so mm-hmm. uh, so we do uh, have a fee for service. Um, mm-hmm. We have approximately um, about thirty five companies that will pay for phone calls on their products, or if your animal is uh microchipped and registered with the home again service the calls to poison control are included in your yearly fee, hmm. but if you need to reach me, my phone number is one eight 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 four two six four four three
0: five excellent good um what uh, uh, what else would you like to would you like to add? Is there anything to uh, wrap up the uh, the call? And, and and while you're doing that, I'm going to check and see if any uh, any other calls have come in.
1: Great, yeah. So I would recommend um, that if you have any questions, especially about plants, um, if you go to the ASPCA.org dot website. We actually have a listing of both toxic and non-toxic plants with some pictures, Um, so you can check that out online. Um, You know, it's free. It's easy. And we also have some nice tips on pet-proofing your house, things around your house you may not know are poisonous, um, you know, what to do in a poisoning situation, things to keep on hand. So there's some nice information on the website, and all that information is free.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Uh, okay, I, we we did get a uh, we, we did get a call in says um, I I am a pet uh, caretaker and am fully aware of all the plants foods that are potential poisons. However, I do hear from time to time that dogs in my care or other people's dogs have ingested chocolate and not a small amount and they think it's fine. One mm-hmm. greyhound I know of ate most of a huge chocolate bar and was fine. She pooped most of it out, but the owners were not concerned. What, what would you say to this and to pet owners who think that from time to time it's okay? Where do you draw sure. a line? <clears throat> also, for exotic birds, I, I hope all know that avocados will kill them, correct? Thanks. Correct. Sure. So, let's talk briefly about the avocado
1: first and then we'll talk about chocolate. So, yes, avocados Um, can cause heart failure in birds. It actually causes a buildup of fluid um, in the sac around the heart. Now, dogs and cats don't have that issue. So if they get into the guacamole, we're not going to be too worried, but definitely we don't want to feed it to your birds. Okay. So back to chocolate. So the amount of chocolate and the darkness of the chocolate makes a huge difference. If we think about um you know a typical gosh twenty pound dog um it would take about for um excuse me for milk chocolate it's going to take about um oh gosh, about six ounces of milk chocolate um to cause a problem beyond mild stomach upset. Mm-hmm. but if we're talking about dark chocolate it's only going to take about a third of that amount, so about two ounces. And if we're talking baker's chocolate, you know, the stuff that you cook with, it has no sweetener, it's only going to take about half an ounce. So most of our, you know, stories of my dog ate a whole pound of chocolate, didn't have a problem, are either animals that ate milk chocolate or animals that ate, you know, chocolate that's filled with, you know, nuts or you know nougat or you know other kinds of fillings that don't contain chocolate so you know you drop an m&m or a hershey's kiss your dog eats it we're not going to be concerned but if Mm -hmm. they get into you know a pound of chocolate or they get into the baker's chocolate then it's definitely a problem
0: got it very good very good this has been a fascinating call and Dr. Wismer, we're indebted to you uh for this uh for this wonderful information and um and and also how to how to get in touch with the Animal Poison Control Center and the um uh and the website resources that you have available. Um thank you very much. Um anything else uh, that you'd like to add?
1: No, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me and uh hopefully we'll never need to talk to you
0: (laughs) other than for these kind of calls that'd be great exactly exactly (laughs) terrific well enjoy your greyhound and uh, this is mark leonard from pets on time saying goodbye